0: I thought he was in bad shape, not fatal condition. Uh, some folks came along in a truck and was going to drive us to try and get uh, a helicopter. We'd already called for a helicopter. and We were in the bed of the truck, and Keith was laying on my lap, and he was kind of talking, and I was kind of joking a little bit. I said, "You know, we're going to end up in some trauma center out here while you heal up for six or eight months, and we're going to be stuck in West Texas for the next six or eight months and eating horrible food." And uh, he took his last breath and died while we were discussing and joking and second time I guess having somebody die there kind of while I'm holding him, I still thought he was probably gonna make it. I thought he's hurt really bad but he's gonna be fine and when I walked in they walked out handing me his badge and his wallet and his wedding ring. And I'm like man why are you handing me these? Is he going into surgery? And they said no he's he didn't make it man he didn't make it. And I think it would have been different if I didn't have a son with me but I, I didn't know what to tell him or how to tell him. That helped me more than I can say. Because that's important, being a companion officer after somebody's had to take a human's life, and you get a phone call to go sit in a squad car with them. Go freaking be a good friend, man. That's what they need. That that helped me, that helped me more than I can say. Each year we remember the fallen from the previous 12 months and Although it's beautiful, I love getting to planet, it, but I end up an emotional wreck the whole way through it as we honor it. It shocks the conscious to see that many names and photos and young faces scroll across that screen every year. Um,
1: shocks the conscious. I wish the community could see that every year. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast. Brought to you by the Assisi Officer Foundation.
4: and we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide.
1: The definition of a Texas peace officer is defined as A law enforcement officer within the state of Texas are considered peace officers. All Texas peace officers are required to obtain and maintain a commission through the Texas Commission on Law Enforcement, (TCO). Being a Texas peace officer is a calling. This great state has plenty of incredible examples of outstanding lawmen in its history. Today's guest embodies what it means to be a true Texan and a true peace officer. His family has dedicated their lives to serving. In the early 1990s, a legendary Dallas detective helped put away a true Dallas serial killer, known as the Texas Eyeball Killer. This detective also worked on the Pastor Walker Raley case that still haunts this city and that detective. I'm speaking of longtime Dallas PD detective Stan McNear. Today's guest is a spawn of this great peace officer. He's a Marine, former Garland PD detective, third generation law enforcement. Strong, strong advocate for all officers across the country. It's my honor to welcome on Clint McNear. Clint, thanks for joining ATO podcast. Glad to be on. Uh, I want to introduce a special guest co host. He's a very close friend of Clint, so this is this was kind of just seemed like it was a It just should happen. It seemed natural. (laughs) He brings 30 years of law enforcement to the table and specializes in ICAT cases, internet crimes against children. What's that you ask? It's some of the worst shit you can deal with. And these detectives, God bless them because I couldn't do that job. I've seen some of the cases and I can't imagine working that type of a, of case against true victims. that can't defend themselves. Detective Tony Godwin, thank you for joining us. I want you to tell the listener a little bit about yourself, and also talk about your podcast you got going.
3: Yeah, hey, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm I'm honored to be here. I've I've been listening to y'all's podcast now for I don't know over a month or so since I learned about it. I didn't know about it in the beginning. Clint told me about it, and uh, just the opportunity to come and hang out with my buddy and uh, you know share in his glory because it's well deserved. But uh yeah, I've been with uh, my agency for thirty years. I've I've specialized in ICAC for the last seventeen or so. Um and you're right, it's the most horrible shit you can imagine seeing on a daily basis. But uh it's rewarding in the sense that you get to put people away that really need to be put away. And so
0: Can I tell you that, yeah. Tony, for the viewers with this being audio only? Is the sexiest 13 year old little girl guaranteed that, yeah. that you will ever see? He it, is, he he's embodies. got the voice too. Oh, yeah. let me tell you, it's hard as hell getting in
3: those clothes, but once yeah. I get in them, it's Katie bar the door. But His right. calves are nice, he's yeah. got nice
1: calves, <laughs> Some nice, especially in heels. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I expect that. a few few ribbings today. <laughs> oh. but, uh,
3: you did mention our podcast, and thank you for that. We, uh, me and my uh, podcast partner Brandon, uh, We've been doing our podcast. It's called Catfish Cops, and we do a bunch of different things. We kind of started out with a focus on doing case studies, talking about arrests that we've made, um, cases that we've made. Everywhere we go, people are always like, oh, tell us about this, tell us about that. And so it kind of spawned into the podcast. We didn't really know anything about it. We kicked it off, and uh, we've been going now for about two years. Uh, we just bridged 100,000 downloads. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, I think we're around 80... 80 or 81 episodes, something like that. So really proud of it. It's called Catfish Cops. It's on every platform you can imagine where you can find it. Um, we have transitioned also into a more of an education role. We, we play a really big role with wanting to educate the public. Uh, we want to educate kids and parents about what they need to be looking for online, especially when they're dealing with their own kids, being connected, and uh, training, We're all about training. We go all over the country. We go all over the world uh, to teach cops how to do the job we do. I trained Brandon how to do the job um, several years ago and he took off like a banshee and he's been blowing and going since. Uh, We both do computer forensics on our side of the house. He's phenomenal. He's like absolutely one of the top two or three forensic people I know um, and he really just shines to it. So I appreciate the opportunity. I'm looking forward to
1: yeah, and don't, don't, and feel free to, to give Clint some shit. You, oh. got, you got more stories in, in, in your me. bag than, <laughs> than probably I anybody. Have, I have no issue with that. Um, so the, the podcast isn't, it's not about fishing for cat. Like, go, like, no, it like, is fly not. Fly fish. Or, okay, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely okay. not about fishing.
3: Okay. Our, our very first inquiry from uh, when we kicked off the website and email was a guy asking me about a specific fish. Hey, are you going to talk about <laughs> where to find what lakes to find this fish? And I was like, wrong, wrong topic, man. Wrong kind of fishing. Yeah, but uh, listen anyway. Maybe
1: yeah. maybe we will talk about fish at some <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah, absolutely. But and we're uh, just talking about horrible shit, not fish. Yeah,
3: it's been a fun ride. So, uh, not for the faint of heart. Not really kid friendly. If it is kid friendly, we let you know right at the beginning. Otherwise, uh, be careful.
1: Well, that that type of offense. I mean, there's no way to make it kid friendly. And, right. and 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 actually, I was listening to one of the episodes the other day on the way to pick up my daughter from school oh boy. <laughs> and and i turned it off when yeah. i had her in yeah I absolutely did, I did. carmen uh sweet carmen did not need to hear about <laughs> sorry assholes that they're you know, yeah. online and and i monitor her her uh her social media or not social media but her Roblox and all that crap i got it pretty locked down because yeah. i know i, I mean I, should. I i talked to our dallas uh icac detectives and mm-hmm. i'm not sure you probably know quite a few of them uh, i know every one of them there you go okay yeah. um I mean, Jason Paulson. Shout out, Jason. He's yeah. a he's a big listener, and he he just left ICAC and went to sex assaults. Oh, really? So he went to, from one frying pan, pan into the other. Yeah, no kidding. He, yeah, but um, you know I, don't know, I don't know if that says a lot about him, but <laughs> his interest. But he's <laughs> well, pretty, he's a, a good great desire detective. to yeah.
3: put those people away. That's the that's the satisfaction. That's what I like about it. Putting them away where they're not going to get their hands on a kid.
0: I commend Tony's work. Um, I couldn't do it. I could not be exposed to it i'm just not built for it and he always was really good at reeling them in and i didn't want to see it i didn't want to know about it but i like to be there when he would go hey you need to go to this location because the guy's showing up thinking he's meeting me and you need to be there to drag him out to the car and i'd rather clean yeah. them than and clean than yeah. do because it, it takes I, I couldn't do it for a month much less 17 years well it's I it's the about reached that are built it's for it.
3: it's about reached its max i'm I'm definitely looking for my exit strategy here because there's only so much of that stuff you can focus on, you know?
1: Well, even for just mental health. Yeah. You know, I mean, really, that's, we're going to get, we're going to get into, um, uh, emotional wellness of, of officers, and and anybody listens to this podcast knows that we we take a we take an approach. It's we tell some cool, cool kick ass stories and some we talk about some stupid shit and we make bad jokes, but we do we do uh, try to bring to the forefront the topic of of uh, mental wellness with officers. Yeah, you know, long overdue, yeah. long overdue. All right, Clint, you ready to get into this? Yes, sir. All right, um, I'm gonna start off you where'd you grow up uh grew
0: up in Plano um dad worked for DPD and didn't want to raise kids in Dallas and uh moved to Plano it was like 15 or 16,000 folks
1: and that's where I grew up through high school yeah for the listener Plano is just north of Dallas uh I mean hell Randy you you live out there now
4: yeah I've been there since oh my gosh almost 20 years now I've been in Plano
1: yeah Plano at the time there there's it's it gets gone through different ups and downs that but it it was at one time I remember it was it was like almost like a Holland park esque yeah it was it was uh it was a nicer part of the a suburb of Dallas and uh now it's 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 good size now well it's
4: land it's landlocked by everything cuz McKinney and Allen and uh Frisco and Dallas it can't grow anymore mm. And it used to be the model city with the way they, the city planning that, you know, there've been studies on it, the way they, they have that city, the town laid out. It's really nice. So what'd you go to you Wildcat? Supposed to have been,
0: um, I struggled fitting in due to having a, uh, police family. We didn't fit in. We lived on the West side, but that was not our okay. socioeconomic, um uh, lifestyle that we lived. <laughs> and I didn't fit in with kids driving Porsches. Mm. Uh, when I pulled into <laughs> school in my farm truck, I didn't jive too well there so i transferred to east live right by plano should have been wildcat but i transferred to plano east where i fit in a little bit better
4: it's a little bit different now because i think with uh plano west opening oh yeah you you probably would have been fine you'd be fine now at uh, plano senior high yeah
0: back then man it was awesome though plano was like
1: plano usa it was it wasn't near as big as it is and it was a great place to grow up well, everything's grown just north of Dallas. I mean, look at Frisco. I mean, I, when I went to high school, I mean, I grew up in Dallas. I moved out to Little Quinlan, Texas, for high school. Oh wow! Yeah, so we played uh, Frisco, and they have since since changed the uh, the the nick team nickname. And I, I'm not going to say they're what, the raccoons what, now. Yeah, yeah. But they have changed <laughs> the name. But we played them. They, they were three A, barely three A, and now, good lord! I mean, you you go yeah. up there now, and it is. I mean, you got the, the uh, Jerry Jones star there, and it is. That big mall and and uh, they got the uh, the Rangers. Uh, the uh, Randy was the, the ba- star. Yeah, we had the star with the Rangers. Uh, the minor league. Oh, the Rough Riders. Oh, yeah, the, the Rough Riders, Riders are up there. Yeah, yeah the, it, the, this-
4: P- the PGA is going to be open up there. I mean, <laughs> Frisco is growing and it's crazy. Do you remember the- how many high, high schools were in uh, Frisco when you were going to? Plano? There was one, and now for, they really. S- now there's 16 high schools. Holy, wow. oh my God! There was
0: actually a Ford dealership and two brothels, and that pretty much. That's what uh, Frisco, all of Frisco Frisco
4: is known for. That Joe. really? sure <laughs> you find that interesting?
0: That uh, no, that's very interesting. The 121 Hot Tub it. Club and. Mm-hmm. They had like three brothels and a four dealership was the extent of Frisco, Texas, yeah. USA.
1: If one was want to go, want to go to these brothels? Are they, are they still? <laughs> no, they're gone. Oh, they're gone. Yes, I right. would suspect
0: they're gone. In high school, we would get on a payphone right.
1: and prank call up there
0: and ask them to read the menu to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then we would giggle hey, and hang up and get embarrassed. And the they hand. might
1: have something with, with uh, catfish on the menu. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. I knew Tony looked familiar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what was what was. It like growing up with Stan McNair as your, as your father?
0: You know, looking back now, um you only know what you know as a kid. And I thought everybody lived the way I did. And I'd be hiding in my room when I was 13 trying to talk to girls on the phone at 3 a.m. on Friday night. And the phone would click, and I would click over, and it would say, this is Dallas PD dispatch needing homicide, Detective McNair. There's been a police shooting I thought everybody kind of lived a normal life. Our house was full of DPD, uh, partaking in choir practice on the weekends, and I thought that was probably how most kids lived. Looking back on it now, it was a very different lifestyle, but I, I – You mean, didn't know any better. I didn't yeah. know any better, and it, it was – it was. my dad would come out to Little League, uh, coach pitch with his suit and badge and gun on and pitch my Little League game and then go get back in his old Chrysler and head back to Dallas, and that was kind of the life I, I thought most folks lived. That how long how long was he on DPD? He started in '67 and retired in '01.
4: Wow,
1: that's that's a long. time. Do you time. think our paths crossed with his? Oh yeah, I'm, we've been up there, and I mean, I'm sure Randy. We I don't remember the name. Yeah, I'm I know. I remember I remember the name, but I, I can't remember a case we were. We were going up to Homicide and and SIU a lot. Well, it's
3: not like you could miss Stan. He is
1: quite a large character. Well, we're going to – I'd like to get get him on here. And, Clint, you come back as a guest co-host. I think that would be – I've got
0: to find a photo. He was on the DPA board like in the 70s. And they had these beautiful sport coats. I thought my dad had won the (laughs) Masters growing up because he had this photo of him in this – like mauve jacket or baby blue
4: I think I think they were blue with a and our old logo is pretty neat cuz it has a uh, it's blue and red and it has the a justice level on it it's yeah. pretty Yeah, oh, that's cool. We have we've had them on a coin one time and I've tried to get these guys to get them but they, Damn, they we should
1: they, do like a at throwback like a throw, like a, like the Cowboys throwback oh, jersey, yeah. a throwback DPA. They're <laughs> like a powder sure. blue or sky blue. Yeah, I, I thought he
0: won the Masters for about ten years growing up because he had this great looking <laughs> yeah. sport
1: coat. But it turns out he was on the DPA board in the seventies. Wow. Well, you know that Clint. Um, I'd like to get him on, and he. I know he worked on some high profile cases, and he worked under Captain Fritz, uh, right? For, yeah. And for, uh, uh,
0: your previous guest, Elmer Boyd, is who trained him. I think in '70 70 or '71. That's who trained him. That's who got Dad into the Masons and that's cool. uh, walked him through. Dad got his 50-year Mason Masonic Lodge pin last week and talked a lot about Elmer Boyd and his mentorship and Captain Fritz and the leadership they had back then.
1: Yeah, it was. You know, I, I literally just today I posted a pic of me standing in front of the the original homicide and robbery door frame from 1963 it's down in a storage unit and in, uh, inside headquarters like door 330 or 317 3, 317 yeah it uh it I was i grew up running the halls there man as a toddler i'd
0: go down there and we'd take dad dinner and i didn't know oh, that's wow
1: cool. yeah, isn't that yeah listen i'm just showing the picture that and that's actual it's in a storage unit right now we need to get that out on display yeah. for, for people because it's It was really cool because I I actually have a picture posted uh, of that same door with two Dallas officers from the day Kennedy uh, was killed and Officer J.D. Tippett was killed, and they're standing in front of that door, and that whole door and frame is just sitting there. Wow. Yeah, tell me when people wouldn't come out of the woodworks to get a picture next to that. No kidding. So it's pretty incredible. But, um, you know, you're a third-generation law enforcement. Can you explain, we know about your father now, can you explain that and what does that mean to you?
0: You know, it runs it runs deep. My grandfather uh, works worked for the sheriff's department forever. Dad,
1: what uh, sheriff department?
0: Fannin County in, okay. in Bonham, Texas, up towards the Red River. Uh, my uncle retired from Collieville PD. Dad, um, dad was the old school, lived, breathed law enforcement. Um, there was only cops in in my house. His friends were cops. His hobbies were you know, police related. He retired and I was in capers and they were going up through the new England States retired. And I was working capers and we were having a bunch of bank robberies at the time. And he called every morning at seven. What do you got working? You told me about a bank robbery yesterday. What have you done on that? What do you have? And I'm like, go sleep in and look (laughs) at the leaves changing in new England. And well, I was, I was wanting to know that you had a murder two weeks ago. Where are you at on that? And wow, just that's who he was. And, I pushed back on that in high school. Uh, I wasn't a great student, but okay, I guess maybe. I knew all along.
1: I, I knew where I was, where I was headed. Where well, you were, you were going to end up as in law enforcement? Yes, sir. Um, at what point? You said so in high school. You knew that you were going to get in law enforcement. I knew. I knew my trajectory was. I right. was either going
0: to be riding in the back of a police car or driving one. And I wasn't going to go to college, and so I joined the Marines as an MP so that I could ensure I was driving one, not riding in the backseat of one. Um, It's kind of where my my path started. It just felt super natural once I started down that path.
1: Once you got in the Marines, can you you talk a little bit about that, how that went?
0: Yeah, it was good. Um, I went in and was in boot camp when Shield and Storm was going on, Um, so just missed. Desert Shield, Desert Storm, with it being the 100-hour ground war. And um, it was a good experience, learned a lot. Realized I should have probably selected a different MOS, another career field. Uh, I loved the Marines. Being an MP was difficult, trying to police your own, and they didn't appreciate being policed. Uh, But it did a lot to prepare my maturity and my focus and my drive to go to, to Garland.
1: Well and also it 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 probably it, you said it matured you but also gave you a lot of structure, right? Yes. Yeah, you needed much you needed, needed. And, and and you know and we're all immature at that age and you're sitting there trying to police other very immature that kids. We're all kids at that at that age. Yeah.
0: Doing well that. and officers I had a at a force recon captain threatening to whip my ass and um we we had a large standoff in the e-club one night and him threatening to whip my ass and we were going to go down fighting because i knew i was going to take one but he he misunderstood what what my role was there and i told him i'd much rather be drinking beer with you i promise you but i'm just trying to hear do what i'm told and it was a lot of a lot of difficult situations that i would rather just been a marine
1: yeah did, was there ever a point where you thought about staying in there and, and, and making a career out of the uh, military?
0: At the time, no, because I was chomping at the bit to go drive a police car and put people in jail. Looking back, it would have been a great opportunity. I've, all of my family, everybody in my family has been in the military. My son is right now. My dad, I have an uncle that was a three-star Marine Lieutenant General. Um, It would have been, it would have been an awesome opportunity, but, I was still trying to find my way. I turned 50 last week and I'm still trying to figure this out. My whole life's been (laughs) falling forward. (laughs) I've been lucky to fall forward. Um, So I don't reflect on it too much, but the Marines would have been awesome.
1: I think it worked out pretty well though for you though. You've had a great career. So when you, when you decided to finally apply for law enforcement, how, what, where did you apply and and what was that process for you?
0: I got out immediately um, and started applying and, Man, if you recall, like late 80s, early 90s, a police test, there'd be six, seven, 800 people. Um, got hired in Plano in the jail. I worked there for two and a half years. Was It was relayed to me. I may have been a bit aggressive for Plano's mm-hmm. style. Um, and so I started looking around, um, had some folks from Garland reach out and said that my style may fit Garland better than Plano's, yeah, and um, went to Garland in 94. Okay. Was there a time you wanted to apply for Dallas, or did you? You know, when I first got out, initially I did pretty bad because 60s, 70s, and 80s, if you were DPD or LAPD, I mean, you were almost a Hollywood movie star. They were the premier global police departments anywhere in the world those two were. And, and Dad talked to me about some options, and I kind of regretted a little bit at the time. Looking back now, it was a really good decision. I would have lived in his shadow. I still live in his shadow. I was testifying in federal court last year as an expert a witness on a death case, and as soon as I said my name, this federal judge leans over and says in front of a jury, um, are you Little McNair?" yes, ma'am. I've known your dad for 40 years. I've drank beer with your dad. I've known him for 40 years. You're little (laughs) McNear. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Might have held your testimony. You know what? Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I'm here to testify now as Big (laughs) McNear. I I, would have, I would have probably been little McNear my
0: whole life at at Dallas and I still was my very first time I went through the grand jury. I was so nervous and I got up there and I'm trying to even remember my name to get up there to say it. And, I tell them who I am and where I'm at. And they did a double take. Very attractive prosecutor goes, "Are you little McNear? Your dad's handsome. Are you are little McNear?" Well, of course. Then all the shit went out the window. I couldn't remember my name, who I was, <laughs> yeah. what I was trying to read, and it, it was fun though. It it was a it was a good opportunity.
1: What was the size of Garland uh, when you Garland PD when you when you hired on?
0: I don't know that we've cha- <laughs> I don't know it's that same- it's changed in twenty five years. It was. I think we were around three hundred and thirty ish, and
1: I would imagine today we're around three fifty ish. We we had on the uh, great Lieutenant Dan Calasanto. Oh yeah, Dino. Yeah, and uh, he, you know, he in the in the SWAT world, he's his training's legendary, and he's a great, he's an amazing guy. But can you talk more about Garland PD and and the area that it's in, and also just just talk about that city.
0: Yeah, um so I grew up in Plano which was uh like Randy said kind of the up and coming. It was newer community, newer homes. Um upper middle class to upper class. Garland is an older community. Um the socioeconomic condition there is not as good. We border Dallas to the due east, whereas Plano's to the north. Um It was an outstanding place in the 90s to do police work. Uh, Fridays and Saturday nights, you know, there would be shootings holding and stabbings holding, and the movie Colors had came out, late 80s, Sean Penn, and so everybody, yeah. literally in Texas, thought they were an LAPD, it, an LA gang member, LA, and bloods and crips. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we we had shootings in our parks with gang members shooting each other all the time. It was a great place in the early '90s to do police work.
1: <laughs> well, I, I just recorded uh, Major Leroy Quig, and he was he spent thirty something years on DPD, and he has spent twenty in, in involved either as supervisor or as a detective in the gang unit, and he started the gang unit in Dallas whenever. When color not long after Colors came out, and we talked in depth about what that movie did to yeah. glorify it those, ass, it, it, and everybody wanted to mimic them. I remember I was in, I grew up in Dallas, and uh, I went to um, like Griner and Atwell, and those are in Oak Cliff, and then Sunset High School. And when I was there, I left Sunset and went to Quinlan. And that was like a damn. I it was like I went to Europe. You <laughs> yeah, like <Well>, you're on <laughs> so the without moon the, without the <laughs> British accents. But but yeah, the, but then. Those gangs that we had, like all these different offshoots and wannabes, we had G-Men and, and Ducky Boys and all this bullshit. And, and but they were it was all because a lot of spurred by that movie. And it's just it's just it went from the West Coast and it, it spread east, it spread east yeah. like the plague, man. It was the early
0: 90s. It was it was insane. Every I think every kid under the age of 19 thought they were a legit LA gang member and wanted to try and emulate and live up to that behavior and it was busy it, it was, was a damn good busy. movie though i mean it, it yeah. really was a good movie
1: yeah <laughs> robert duvall that's oh he's awesome he can he's good in anything um when did you and tony meet can you talk about that both y'all
3: yeah like we met uh in the academy
1: holy shit really so yeah you're, yeah. you're, you're our classmates or just in-
3: we're our classmates yeah Ah, days one together we were one of the uh I think we still are. Matter of fact, the biggest class uh, that's ever been pushed through Garland. What's and, the size on that? Uh, we started with 30, 31, 31 okay. and lost one really quickly, and uh, the overwhelming majority made it through. Uh, lost a few during FTO, but yeah, we've been uh, we've been running and gunning since day one of the academy.
1: That's awesome. Um, what what is your badge, Tony? Two ninety nine. Two ninety nine. What was yours? Two four eight. Okay. Well, you got you got some good seniority. I mean, Randy's. Uh, don't tell me seven four eight seven. Yeah, I had a little bit of seniority on him. I'm eight too. Yeah, Randy's we, not. Randy and I were classmates. We
3: call them zip codes now because the numbers are. Oh my god. Yeah, the one.
1: The, the one well, the ones we have here, they're seven. Uh, no, they're five digit.
3: Yeah, ours are stupid long now.
1: Well, I, I talked about. Uh, I should have, when did I talk? Oh, I talked about it in front of that. We went to that true crime podcast festival, and it was really yeah. cool. In front of the panel, and they were, they were asking about how short handed Dallas is, and I said, "Well, two years ago they had the largest academy class. It was eighty one people in academy class, and they were packed in there like sardines." Right. Wow. And now it's so hard to get people to want to do this job. They're literally starting an academy class, I think this week that has 17 people. Oh, well,
3: there's uh, one that graduated last Friday, 19.
1: Yeah. So it, man. Wow. Yeah. It's uh, but I think
3: everybody all over the whole country is seeing and experiencing the same thing. Like, you know, it's, it's interesting from a standpoint, um, cause I teach in our academy quite a bit and in lots of other academies. Um, and, one of the questions i ask is like hey do you see yourself here in 20 years and the very common theme right now in the last several years is
1: no most of them say why do most of them what do they say why and i ask them i say
3: hey show me hands who who thinks you're going to be here in 20 years and you know a couple people will raise their hand but the overwhelming majority will not and then i'll say okay well what's the next level 10 years a few more Five years is where the majority of them put a hand up. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to try it. I'm going to see how it's going to go. And then if I don't like it, I'm going to go do something else. And and then that always gets the return question, did you think you would be here in 20 years? And I said, absolutely, yes, 100%. I said, I don't know what I would have been doing or where I'd be, but I could have told you I'd be here for 30 years. I knew that when I took the job.
1: Well, I said in my intro that being a peace officer is a calling – and yeah. and I, I think I think what I think now it's a different it's calling is different than whenever we went through. I really believe that, and I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I can't put my finger on why that would be, but just some of the numbers don't lie. It is hard to get people to want to do this profession. It's even harder to get them to stay. Right. You I'm know? wondering if
0: I'm wondering if law enforcement's going to become like a military enlistment. Guys will sign up and be like, you know, I'll give I'll give my community five, and then I'm going to go, you know do a corporate gig or go start my family
3: well know, a lot business. of agencies are doing um incentives now like signing bonuses we things had like that. that we had
1: We're a $10,000 signing bonus for all yeah, that's been went going away. on for the past 20 years here yeah but shit even then it you know it's crazy because there's so many people want to go federal or they want to just go to another department they'll go to a a different part of town they'll go to the, uh or that pays more yeah than than our city and i, I I can't say I blame him. When Randy and I started, I mean, we, you know, we were oh, eking by.
4: We lost two two people to Garland.
1: Oh yeah, uh, Alberto Irizari and uh, Brian oh, yeah. Christian. Yeah. Oh, I was on the Brian, phone with Brian Christian all weekend. Hey, he's actually going to come on this podcast. He <laughs> Dude, uh, he,
0: he it, is a freaking rock star. Yeah. Oh yep. yeah. Well, so, family oh, member's yeah. house got burglarized last Friday morning, mm. in uh, Princeton. Mm. They called me that morning and said, "Hey, my laptop's pinging on the Garland Richardson Plano border." You got anybody? I said, "Eh, let me go. So I called Brian Christian. He's like, man, I'm at my desk. I'll get somebody in or out up there. He calls me back. Screw that. I'm rolling. So he calls me back. He goes, hey, it's a large apartment complex, man. I'm not going to be able to find it. I said, all right. He goes, man, I'm sorry, because the only thing here is a chick sitting in a car. I said, well, the computer was pinging at McDonald's for 20 minutes, and now it's pinging there, and uh, there's a gray laptop and golf clubs and all that. And he's like, man, I ain't got nothing, dude, other than a chick sitting in a car. He goes, I may just jump out on her. He texts me in two seconds. Uh, I got her. She's on a gray laptop eating McDonald's.
1: <laughs> Damn! No, I love Brian. I ran into him actually at the on the in the river on the Riverwalk when we were out there for the uh, oh yeah yeah T M P A and F O P conference just a few weeks ago. He's you know, a rock he, star man. No, I, I, he was he and he was so quiet in the academy. Just he's a great he's a good guy. Yeah. But he's actually he's actually gonna uh, send me a bio and we're gonna set up a recording and yeah. Good. I'm excited to get him on. Uh, Berto, hell, Berto and I, we still run it. And him, and his, I know his wife, Teresa, forever. So Good yeah. people. Very good people. You know, your point about calling the last interview board at
0: Garland I was allowed to sit on. <laughs> I asked this kid, uh, hey, man, what made you want to do this job? And he goes, well, I don't know. I got let go from my last one uh-huh. and saw your ad. And I thought he was going to go, <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. And I said, no, really, how come you're here today? And he goes, well, I got fired two weeks ago and I saw y'all's ad in the paper. I said, so you've had no desire to go help people. You've had no desire to put bad guys in jail. He's like, no, I need benefits. Well, I, I went left a little bit and I'm like, you need to phone a friend or you better find another final answer. Cause that answer doesn't fly in Garland that, you know, I got fired two weeks ago and I just need a paycheck and some And I thought, man, and he was dead serious that there was no consideration for. And I'm thinking, man, you probably have less than a year career here. Once you find out that this isn't just collecting a paycheck and getting a little bit of medical benefits.
1: You do. I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot to this. There's a lot of this job that shit you put up with that you, you do not want to have that most people couldn't stand. Right. Turn on the news. You'll see. But, uh, it, no if you if you if you join a pd or you go into this profession in any form just because you're out job hunting and there's a garland pd or dallas pd's hiring yeah you you might have a different experience than what you're expecting yeah. yep well, yeah we've got there's i'm sure there's a lot of people that we had a lot of people that go through the academy and get dallas's training and then boom as soon as go they go somewhere man, else they, i mean like the week after they graduate they're gone yeah that's that stings
3: yeah, that's terrible. There needs to be some level of loyalty, at least for some duration of time, I think.
1: Well, what, what kind of work did y'all, uh, did y'all gravitate to when y'all got out there on the streets? It wasn't, really? inter- it wasn't internet crimes against no, children. It that was shit not. wasn't going on no, there. No, it was not. then. Uh, <laughs> there was no internet, I don't think.
3: We really chased all kinds of stuff. Like, we loved to be in neighborhoods blacked out looking for burglars and, yeah. you know. I gravitated a lot towards DWI because it was a really good part-time. Like, it spent a lot of time in court. Court And so I was cash – he hated DWIs. But I would just cash in on them because I was making so much money in overtime. And – but, yeah, anything we could jump up, a car chase or a foot chase or, you know, we purposely wanted to be on the late-night shift. And we worked in neighboring districts and two-man a lot of nights. And, you know, just we had a good time. One
0: of our academy mates – As soon as we got out of the academy, he was popping loads of dope on 30. Yeah. And you're all trying to find your niche. So I would go sit down there, and I'm stopping out of state plates. I couldn't find a roach in an ashtray. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like – he would send out on on the old CADs. We had the old black plastic LAPD. He'd send out – got 200 pounds eastbound, got $150,000 westbound and – I can't find a roach in a yeah. ashtray, and that's when he and I, early nineties, they were stealing Honda Accords like crazy, and he and I kind of ended up,
3: yeah, doing Hunting the car Star Trek, chase route yeah.
1: and jumping up car burglars and. Um, what what is uh, what is their chase policy? Is it pretty strict now? I don't.
3: Uh, it's a lot more restrictive than it was, but it's it's not exclusively you cannot not we're, like you know, ours no Our, no no it's not like dallas we, is yeah. we we can still chase it's just obviously limited with what you can chase for and what it's what you know back when we were starting you could chase till the wheels fell off yeah we've chased randy a, and i
1: too we should, canna and i mean yeah, weatherford we well, they i mean i will say this though they're a lot of fun they they yeah. are a lot of fun but they are dangerous as hell yeah. i mean yeah. i they're scary they're, they're scary as no, they're very scary. get out
3: too like i remember we chased uh a viper one time down 30 down to 635 going off into bulk spring somewhere that that thing was shitting and getting i bet yeah. it was doing 150 miles an hour i've never had a caprice go as fast as it did and i and i was nowhere close to it and i remember the hood of the viper blew off and almost got me just fly over uh, the top and it Made me swerve. Of course, I blew a tire uh-huh. out. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I'm like, please pick me up and bring an extra uniform because I've, I've just soiled myself. Yeah, I have to wear a diaper. <laughs> and somebody the- grab that hood because there's probably a VIN yeah, number on it. I <laughs> have to wear
0: a diaper the rest of this. Yeah, shit. There's a YouTube channel. And I don't know the name of it, LHN or something, but it's Arkansas State Police. And it's funny you brought up Chase's. It's so counterintuitive to a lot of people. Arkansas State Police will pit you immediately. And... I think that is – although a lot of people are
1: afraid of pit maneuvers, but – Can you describe that to the listener, what a pit maneuver pursuit is? Pursuit
0: intervention technique or mm-hmm. pursuit intervention tactic. Um, it's basically where you come alongside and you would bring the front quarter panel of your squad to the rear quarter panel of the suspect vehicle and use centrifugal force to put them into a spin. And once that rear end gets loose um, – centrifugal force takes over i've watched probably a hundred of these in the last 30 days there's usually no damage um but they chose to run it's a felony and it immediately stops them from placing a single one more individual in um danger or endangering someone's life it's fascinating to watch because they do it well they do it quick and um they, they have it down. And I, I think rather than bailing out and letting them continue to pursue, because oftentimes if we're not behind them, it doesn't mean they stop. Arkansas state police does a really great job.
3: At really high speeds too. I've seen one at like 80 miles an hour where they pitted a guy and it just completely came to a you know, guy spun around like crazy, but it ended right then and there. I'm like, yeah, I'll bet your brains are scrambled after you've done yeah. 27 three sixties.
0: And I think it's a great, I mean, it's a good deterrent because you hear some of these places where there's zero pursuit policy. I'm not running in Arkansas. I
1: can tell you that. <laughs> is, is, that is that the same as like that movie, Days of Thunder, with Tom Cruise? There's Rubin and racing. <laughs> there's a little rubbing. <laughs> that right. Randy, <laughs> If you first last year, yeah. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Different movie. <laughs> yeah. But still great. Um, what was – you talked about chasing uh, stolen cars and basically everything. Garland has no shortage of crime. <laughs> Um, right. And, and all kinds of different crimes that, that, uh, detective they're, uh, still working on that nobody else wants to do. What are some of the most interesting cases you worked on and, in, in in the field and also as a detective, I want to get into when you, when you promoted to detective, but what are some of the a good war story that, that you encountered out there and how you dealt with it? There were several good ones. Um, I worked some really interesting
0: police shootings that was the beginning of kind of the science, understanding the human factors and performance, learning some of that early on, working some of the police shootings and how those affect officers was really interesting. Probably one of the coolest, not coolest, probably one of the most fascinating murders I worked. Um, Usually anything that's gonna go bad as a detective is gonna come in Friday at three o'clock, like a bank robbery or a shooting three Fridays out of four, you can expect something's going to go sideways at three o'clock on Friday. Um, me and my partner were sitting there one day, the Lieutenant came in and said, Hey, there's two ladies that are investigators from the VA hospital here that think they know where a dead body is. And it's like three o'clock on a Friday. And I'm thinking, okay. So my partner comes back and goes, man, I don't, I don't think they're bullshit. And I think they've got something. So, um, Mr. Giles had been a retired Air Force veteran, paid all of his bills on time, was a very responsible man, uh, was single, lived in North Garland, uh, worked for uh, GE, or Southwestern Bell, one of those phone companies that I think became AT&T later. Lived a really normal life. His house went into default with the VA, and when they got out there and knocked on the door um, because of his VA loan in default, the lady was super hinky, kind of acted weird. They talked to the neighbors and said that there was a like three foot by six foot piece of uh, concrete slab in the backyard and that they hadn't seen Mr. Giles in a while. Hmm. So we're still kind of thinking, ah, okay, this, this, there's no way. So we located a cadaver dog, cadaver dog hit on the concrete slab and, um, Ended up, Mr. Giles had been killed and she placed him in there. It was a lady that he had been communicating with, came in from Detroit, killed him, buried him in the backyard, took over his identity and his um, military retirement. Um, while she was here in jail, she forged her paperwork and almost got herself released out of Lou Starrett. Really interesting case. It was a fascinating case. Damn, she's crafty.
1: She you is appropriate the man's life. She is a black widow. And she buried him in his own backyard. Buried him in his backyard. Damn. Had been there a year in his backyard. Were you a detective at the time? Yes. Okay, okay. And what what was your uh homicide? Yes. Okay. How many uh how many homicide detectives does Garland have or did they have the time? It's fluctuated through the years. Um uh, there was usually
0: about five. Mm-hmm. Most of the time there was about five. Okay. Is that
1: gone? It, and it's Tony, it's the,
3: generally now the unit itself is bigger, but it's split, you know, into majors and PVU. Mm. Um But there's, no, oh, I think there's probably six or seven now, and it, they're hurting. They're yeah, stand in in line with yeah, that with that problem. They're hurting. Um, and need more bodies for sure.
1: Um, Internet crimes against children. Or is it just you and Brandon? Are they the only.
3: And, and Brandon doesn't work at my agency. He works for another agency here okay. in North Texas. Okay. So um, I do have a guy in the office with me, but his sole job is forensics. Um, he was on the ICAC side for a while, uh, but he's gravitated over towards just doing forensics. So you're yeah, the only little girl in the office. I'm the only yeah. little girl in the office and, and that, have been for a long time.
1: When people we have, have openings for that particular unit, do you have problems getting people to apply to that?
3: You know, I I had this conversation this morning with a guy who is like, because uh, a lot of people coming around hearing the word that I'm I'm looking for an exit strategy here in the next couple of years, and um, we all are, yeah. And so you know, there's like, hey, are they going to get you somebody? Or are they going to open this up or whatever? And uh, I and I told them I was like, you know, a lot of people come to me and say, oh man, I that seems like a cool job. Like I I want to wear jeans. I want to grow a beard. I want to. Do surveillance, um, and then they see what it's all about, and then they're like, "Yeah, no, thanks anyway." Um, so, the short answer is, it's on the radar to find a replacement. I am training a guy now that may have a good shot if he can prove his chops um, on the detective side, and you yeah, know, you're grooming him. I'm grooming him as we speak. And uh, he's doing really well. He's doing really well. He's Manscaping. A, him. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a younger dude, and they're looking for some bit of longevity because we see the same thing in ours with people that get all trained up on forensics or a specialty, and then they pop smoke and go make money somewhere else, or you know, chasing money. And so I I've tried to tell them I'm like, don't set your expectation to think that the next guy's going to last seventeen like me. Uh, because it's rare. Yeah. You know, trust me. Most of them, most people don't last that long. You know.
1: Well, it may fluctuate too. Whatever's going on in their personal life. When people yeah. may be single and not have kids, but they have a kid, I would imagine that particular crime changes you. I mean, yeah. hell, it, it it changes you. You're not doing that type. It changes really everything. Whether you're chasing dope or. Out getting in car chases and it may yeah. make you think twice about the risk versus reward of uh, this this job.
3: Well, you get smarter the longer you've been in the career, yeah. anyway, and you start to realize that even though in my mind I still feel like I'm 22 years old and I can conquer the world and jump over tall buildings, my 54 year old body says, "Now, fool, no, you yeah. can't."
1: <laughs> yeah, Clint and I were just talking about our backs just gone shit, yeah. so we're 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 struggling just sitting here to do this whenever you got to deal with a job and to cope with the job what was your Clint, what was your outlet to to get over this and and how and early on looking back do you feel you did a good job of it or or were you, was it poor looking back of how you dealt my i think my police lifestyle
0: i managed well when my dad realized i was dead-set sure gonna be a cop a couple of the things I remember him telling me over and over is don't become a part-time job whore do not get yourself in a bind where you spend your life working 40 hours a week at a part-time job and killing yourself and you're in debt and I I never worked a part-time job except for a few occasions if somebody called me and the money was crazy I might go do something on a Friday night or something Um. He told me, and several people told me when I was a young guy, you know, find a hobby, find some friends that aren't cops. It's okay to actually know somebody that isn't a cop.
1: Yeah.
0: And I think I did that well. I've always had friendships outside the job. I didn't over – I was committed to the job a million percent, and I hope that's a reputation I left behind is I'm going to – when I worked homicide or robbery, I was going to work it until there wasn't anything left to work it. But when I was done, I wanted to go – Traveler, you know go act stupid and Cozumel, or go relax or whatever what i didn't handle well was the self and the self care is navigating through that and I, it's still a work in progress i still preach to people about taking care of themselves but um i could have done a whole lot better job navigating through the career
3: but you know out of fairness there's when we were young rooks coming up, it wasn't something you talked about. If you were to voice your opinion back then, that oh man, that scene really fucked me up, or that thing really jacked me up, someone would call you a pussy and tell you, "Hey, suck it up, buttercup, get back in the game," and you would, and that's just what you did. And and but now I'll tell you, like it's completely different now. It's completely. A complete one eighty difference in how they do things now.
1: We're changing the trajectory. I mean, we yeah. the, the Dallas PD just starting up a new wellness unit, uh, and, I, and I'm a part of that. I've been working on it for uh, several months, and now it's it's official. And it's it's finally rolled out. Everything's different. Even my perspective on it is different. I need and, and to put
3: you in touch with our guy Todd Jerry. He's no, let, it, please it's let in me. It, that is in his wheelhouse. Like this guy lives, breathes, eats mental health and awareness for for cops
0: yeah it's bizarre how much the pendulum has swung in that because in the role i'm in now travel the state and and into the the country in some degree but the state at agencies all the time and some agencies are you know are pretty uh advanced in their self-care and some are not and i could see the broad spectrum and garland in the early 90s was extremely old school gruff our leadership was gruff, go put people's ass in jail and some, you know, former old crusty Marines were the leadership. And you would never have gone upstairs and been like, I think I need to probably take tomorrow off. You know, I am, that's, that call screwed me up and that you would not have said that. And now I can tell you chief Brian at Garland, is is has been the tip of the spear of taking care of people no matter what he has to do and the scare of well if i come forward i'm going to lose my badge and my gun if i tell him i'm a little broken and that has advanced so much i can tell you the first call ever went on and patrol by myself uh three-year-old kid we pulled him out of a pool dead and for years i could close my eyes and smell chlorine and I would have never gone and told somebody. I almost quit. I almost quit the job for a bit after that, off and on. And looking back on that, I'm thinking, man, I could have, I could have gotten some help and navigated through that. But back then, that was not the environment that you would have.
1: No, I mean, no it, it really still isn't. I mean, we're still trying to change that conversation now and make it more of an infectious culture to, to, to you know, but I will say now. And you know, Randy can attest to this that the sissy Officer Foundation we provide the confidential counseling to to officers, and all of our counselors are culturally competent, right? They understand the yeah. police mind because they yeah. have to. But we've seen like a three hundred percent increase since the July seven uh, attacks, and and I think there's incidents like that. I think. That is a turning point, especially in this area, for people wanting to. I think every parts of the country, they always, they, Baton Rouge, they, there's always something major that happens that gets people on a, on, on a different course as far as understanding and recognizing that. Yeah, and that's it, nationwide.
3: It, it's pivotal, man. Like, uh, you know, anything for what it is. That what a tragedy that was, and to feel that sick pit in your stomach of wanting to come down to do anything to help anything is amazing um how that works out and kind of crosses all boundaries but i literally was at a two-hour training session yesterday with dr t with a bunch of people on our cism team yeah and um ato was talked about loud and proud by our captain over that unit over that group and um you know what you guys are doing and the the turnaround that everybody's doing so kudos to you guys and to ours too like uh, i mean i couldn't be prouder of our department for like you said being the tip of the spear they it's completely different
0: (laughs) i like seeing the, the view change because early 90s we're all machismo garland pd and former cops and if somebody says man i'm struggling or i'm broken a little bit you're like oh you freaking yeah oh, sissy dude you need Let's to go get a drink up. get a drink shut up man. and it was your week and now i'll hear somebody step up and be like dude i gotta get some help i'm freaking screwed up and now i'm like that's pretty strong dude to be able to stand up and man up and say i'm freaking broke and it's okay that i'm broke it's it's changing i know it's maturity probably in a whole lot related but to go from that what a freaking weak dude to now i'm like that's pretty badass. That's, That's a stronger dude. Well, it's a, dude dude. For well, it's a, to a whole episode.
3: paradigm shift. I mean, the whole mindset has changed on on how to do it better.
4: Well, I've always been proud to say, hey, I want to give all the recognition to ATO, but I think it's all the officers willing to go out there yeah. and and now admit and of whatever the light bulb came on in their head that they're able to put themselves out there to get help and seek help. And I mean, it's like I said, the t- my time here, it's changed so much where. People are calling and getting it because they know they need it, and I don't know if it's because if it's these events that have happened. Well, then that's a good thing because those things are tragic. But there's all those little things every day you see over and over that you just yeah. compartmentalize, and I don't know how you do what you do with yeah. seeing the images and dealing with what you do with knowing that you got to file that somewhere in your head to where you yeah. either forget it, numb yourself, and I, that's yeah, not it, the healthiest thing to do.
3: It's definitely a game changer. It's uh, it desensitizes you to a lot of things, and I know now all over the station and our everywhere, every wall, every uh, the elevator, everything. There's posters everywhere about how you can reach out and do this. When I was in the elevator once, I was reading this list. There was like nine or ten, eleven things on this list. Like, hey, this, 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 you might want to. And I'm like, holy shit! Like I have like nine of the eleven on that list. Yeah. Like I'm like, I well, went, the door opens quick. I need help. Yeah. I was I was kind of commenting to you know somebody. I was like, man, I I got a lot of things on that list. They're like, what? Really? You're like, do I get a prize? Do I get a prize for this? Or yeah. <laughs> I get
1: get a, like a raffle item. Clint, we're gonna, we're gonna I want to that's I want to segue into critical incidents. All right, and like Randy said, it's not the it's not the seven sevens. It's not just the Baton Rouge. It's it's the small little things that keep – the pinpricks that keep just jabbing you, jabbing yeah, you. And those the little, kid in the pool. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I, I'm looking at you when you're explaining that, just a physical reaction. Just, it was slight. I, but watching you just talk about the kid in the pool, and how long ago was that? I mean – 25
0: years ago probably. You know, it was
1: two and a half decades ago, and it still – you could I could tell it bothers you. and <laughs> It always will. Um you know, you you mentioned uh, critical incidents uh, on your bio, and you you talked about one of your off duty off duty your partner. Can uh, are you comfortable talking about that yeah. to the listener? Can you tell tell that story and and how that impacted you?
0: Yeah. So um, my my partner and I there was it was all Garland cops had a deer lease in West Texas. Um, partner and and me and Tony were super tight and me and Keith Prince, uh, were super tight. We played a guitar together and write dumb songs and drink beer and play guitars together. Um, November 1st, 2008, we were, uh, out at the deer lease. I had his son with me, his son. I had been seeing more deer out of my deer stand. He wanted to hang with me. So we dropped, uh, Keith off. And a short time later, Keith came on the radio, um, that he needed help and probably needed a helicopter had climbed up in his deer stand. We had huge tower blinds in West Texas that were anchored down by T posts, uh, climbed up in the deer stand. When he opened it, hornets swarmed him and he fell, uh, was impaled on the T post. Um, his son and I got to him. Uh, he had managed to lift himself up off the T post, uh, but was in, pretty bad shape. I thought he was in bad shape, not fatal condition. Um, his son was 13. I sent him back to, to get my truck and go to the headquarters. Uh, some folks came along in a truck and was going to drive us to try and get uh, a helicopter. we had already called for a helicopter and, uh, Keith died. We were in the bed of the truck and Keith was laying on my lap and, he was kind of talking and I was kind of joking a little bit. I said, you know, we're going to end up in some trauma center out here while you heal up for six or eight months. And we're going to be stuck in West Texas for the next six or eight months and eating horrible food. And, uh, he took his last breath and died while we were discussing and joking. And, um, first time I'd been exposed to, well, second time, I guess, uh, having somebody die there kind of while I'm holding them. Pretty surreal experience. You're a control freak as a cop. Um, I banged on the tailgate of the truck, got the two gentlemen to stop, was trying to do CPR, and uh, they kept trying to pull me off of him, which I couldn't figure out why. Well, I wasn't listening to them, I had auditory exclusion going on. Well, they were screaming at me, trying to get me to listen that they were off duty firemen and paramedics. Um, so when I let them take over, I took off running down a gravel road for a long time, don't know why. Um. started walking back towards the truck trying to figure out why I just took off running down a gravel road and then I thought and I'm a super in control detective I didn't really know what to do <laughs> uh, so I got on the phone and called Garland T- PD dispatch and told them what I was doing I, I was just I don't know why I did that or why I called but um, they
3: called me too and uh, I don't even remember that it was it was like a It was gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching. And I'm like, what can I do? Like, It's going to take me hours to get to you. It's going to, you know, I cannot get there quick enough. And I literally, I was like, stay by your phone. And I literally called a guy who we had assigned to DPS. And I'm like, I need to get somewhere fast. Can you get me up? And he was like come on he's like we'll get it done and and it was a whole it was a whole dynamic of everything like trying to figure out how to get things together that to help because like i said you know clint was there going through this with keith kid you know it was it was gut-wrenching
1: what was your major concern with with why why did you feel any other than just to be there for your friend what were you was there any other concerns you wanted to get there and what were you going to do? I didn't have a clue. But you just wanted to get there to, I just wanted to get there to, okay. I just wanted to get there. Our kids grew up to together. And, I mean, literally,
0: our kids grew up together. Yeah. We were we spent every single day of our life. He and I did every single day of our life together. I don't remember calling him. Yeah. This is the first I've ever heard that.
3: Yeah, it was. it's, it's just one of those things where you're like, I, shit, I don't know. No idea what I'm going to do.
0: I don't know why I called dispatch. I was thinking about that when you and I were discussing it the other day, and I'm like, I called a lady and I realized I was screaming and crying and she's like, who are you? And I'm like, lady, I'm a Garland detective. And it was, it was bizarre, but that was, and I went from being a control freak cop, you know, I go to a homicide scene and I could be in charge there. And man, I, I I had no clue what I was doing.
1: Yeah. It it sounds like you're so, we're so used to being in control and then we know and, dispatch that's our that's who we call we need help when we're we're wanting assistance immediately so i mean it's yeah that's probably it you know when in doubt scream to dispatch for help yeah (laughs) well it's one of
4: those things going back to how what you're thinking i can't imagine but i know it's we put the uniform on we're at work we're one person but then when it's off we're out hunting we're doing something different we're i guess we don't know we don't have that protective attitude or persona that we're used to and then when it happens so personal, you know, like your best friend when it's, I can't imagine, you know, I, there's no telling, I'm going to run back to Dallas. I, you know, there's no telling, you know, because you're, I think it's a control thing. And it, you, you were so used to knowing what to do because it's not a person in blue or another cop or firefighter. It's some dirt bag or some... Poor soul that happened to get stuck or in just, between something and
1: it's a strange i mean like it's different right now i was talking to uh to doc eastman and also dr Metzger about this on his, his their episodes about their surgeons right they're they see strangers all the time come through in front of them on a on a very controlled environment a well-lit room and they work on them they that's what they do doctors work on people and, and we we held we apply tourniquets. we 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 try to save people, but when you have somebody that's so close to you and, and these these sWAT doctors, they got incorporated with these teams they become friends, they're teammates right whenever they get when they see a teammate fall right in front of them i, I ask how how did that how did that feel compared to what you're usually you do day to day
2: yeah and
1: it was different i mean it's it can't the human side you cannot not be different yeah yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, because the, the the doctors are talking about when Lieutenant Marshall got shot in the throat on a warrant, and they they had to do just, just triage on the side of the house and get an airway, and you holding your friend. I mean, God, I think about you know, I can't imagine that, Clint.
0: It was uh, it was it was a weird time. It was a dark time. His wife asked me to speak at the funeral. I don't no. have a clue. I spoke there. I know that I spoke. I couldn't tell you what. Uh, what was said or done. Uh, I still thought he was going to make it. And when Careflight was landed in the gravel road, picked him up, those guys were kind enough to drive me into the town 30 or 40 minutes away. And I still thought he was probably going to make it.
1: Um, you didn't want to let go?
0: Well, I just thought, he, I thought he's hurt really bad, but he's going to be fine. And when I walked in, they walked out and handed me his badge and his wallet and his wedding ring. And I'm like, man, why are you handing me these? Is he going into surgery? And they said, no, he's he didn't make it, man. He didn't make it. Um, and I think it would have been different if I didn't have a son with me. Yeah. But I, I didn't know what to tell him or how to tell him. And um, just yeah. a, is a weird, my, my coping mechanism through that has been um, he and I were good time friends. Like just play guitars, just laugh, goof off. We had zero serious conversations about life ever other than having fun that was a saturday that he passed away that friday he passed away opening day of deer season november 1st 2008 that friday i left work and had gotten into it with a lieutenant that was a pretty bad micromanager and uh i had announced that one of us was leaving capers and i knew he was new so he wasn't leaving so i knew that meant i was leaving um i was mad and called keith and said there's Got good news and bad news. Bad news is I'm probably leaving capers. The good news is I just left work early. means we can head to the deer lease early. So as we drove to Abilene, I'm just raging and venting, and he's laughing his ass off. And I'm just getting smoking mad at him. And that was his personality. He never got mad. And uh, he's laughing, and I'm raging. And the more he laughed, the madder I got. And finally I said, dude, you're freaking pissing me off.
1: (laughs) You're making it worse.
0: And uh, I said, why are you doing that? And he's just laughing at me. He goes, man, you got two ways to handle life. You can can worry about what you can control and control that. The stuff you can't control, you can let it go. He goes, can you fix this? I said, no. Can you change it? I said, no. He said, the wheels are in motion. Everything's going to happen. Whatever's going to happen, the lieutenant's not going to change. Best thing you can do is let God work it out, find some peace with it. Me and you have fun and enjoy what we got. And. I mean, he kind of didn't get on to me, but talked to me like a son or a big brother. And we'd never had those, never remotely had a conversation like that, where he kind of got on me a little bit and mentored me a little bit. And I didn't know 12 hours later he'd be laying in my lap, you know, no longer with me. But that's helped me cope or try to find some peace with it, is uh, that conversation apparently was meant to happen on that time frame, because we had never had a, any communication about church or religion or him trying to guide me or give me a little, you know, life help or
1: that's been my one way to try and figure that out. Tony, when you, when you got there, what, I mean, it, it affect, you were affected too. You were, well, I, I actually never even made oh, it because made it? the, okay.
3: the, the bird or the helicopter, I think it was a bird that was, um, Hell, it! I think it got his wife there, somebody. It got somebody that needed to be there more than me. And like, my, my game plan was, hey, I'll, I'm coming to get you. And then at, it was hours later, of course. And uh, I was like, you don't need to drive home by yourself. You know, I'll come get you. And then it was like, well, my truck's here. Like, <laughs> you know, what am I going to, I got to, who's going to drive my truck? I was like, well, we'll figure it out. I'll, you know, that'll happen. And so, so many things were in motion. And, even when that happened, um, I think I was running our association. So there was all kinds of, you kind of kick into overdrive into, you know, the fixer mode that we get, tend to get into. So it's like, we need to make sure everything else is in line. Like what other family needs to get here? What Who do we yeah. need to get to certain places? So, um, uh, much to, uh, my disappointment, even though I was headed that way, he's like, no, stay there. i everything's fine i'll get there take care of the family take care you know it was never a a me me moment for him by any means it was all about keith and all about his family and what needed to be done so and it, and you know i called the guy from our from the dps side and i was like hey man we need to get somebody there and it's probably going to be family and whatnot so i'd rather you give it to them than for me
0: that's right. one thing I'll say about our agency is every agency has their good things and their bad days and works through it. And I can tell you, Garland, rallying behind somebody when something happens—I've never seen a department lend support in the family, lend support as you navigate through that. Um, that's been a that's that's been a lifesaver. We in the '90s we weren't the best probably at acknowledging. When we needed help, but we were damn straight strong at standing up and, and closing ranks around somebody when they fell or when they hurt or when they lost a loved. When we did that, we did that well.
1: Well, that just that that incident, uh, you know, uh, in in our, you know, your bio, people have mentioned me sending out bios to people because that's how I how I outline, I outline these stories and and uh, and kind of navigate. Because when when I have people on, I the, I look at this way: this is their stage to tell their tell their story. Everybody's got everybody's got a story, um, and I'm glad that, uh, that Tony came here was a part of this. Um, you know that that incident, you something happened nine almost nine years to the day prior to that. That, and I'm sure that triggers, you know, it triggers your life and and and, and it affects you. How how did you cope? I mean, how I mean, how at that time, how did you get through that? You don't even remember speaking at the funeral. What you said, I can't imagine doing that, Clint. It, Randy, I, I could not speak at his funeral because I can't speak when I get choked up. I mean, I just. I'm gonna have you speak. No, sing. I'm not gonna. I'm not have gonna speak. speak and sing, I'm gonna have you Sorry. speak and sing a song. Yeah, and writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I can't. I couldn't do it. I wouldn't. Not be able to do it. I wouldn't be able to to function. I know me, and and you know, I'm I'm yeah. m- more of an emotional person now than than you know. 20 years ago, Randy, I could have easily spoke at it mm-hmm. and even saying, But now I, just, I could not do that. Are yeah. you still coping?
0: Yeah, I think trying to help others is my coping mechanism, uh, actually, because um, I've struggled through a lot of it. Um, and I'm probably a, the world's worst hypocrite because I'm, I beg people to try and get help. And um, – I've actually used ATO. I've I've been to because I was one of those that didn't want to use uh, employee related counseling, and I knew with you guys that there was not a chance of my confidentiality being compromised. Um, but I've not done it when I should have. <laughs> um, nine years prior to that, I buried my daughter. Didn't never get any help through that. Should have, but I'm too dumb and hard headed. That's true. Um, Nine years later, buried Keith. Um, Didn't get help through that. But have at later times, you know, through different opportunities. But I would not use my handling of my business as an example for anybody in the police world. I would, or as an example of how not to do it is what I would use myself as. Um, Because I think I could have handled decisions a whole lot better if i'd have gotten help
1: yeah well being in in peer support and in, in the new wellness unit that that i'm a part of it uh, you have to you have to have somewhat of you have to have something in your cup right to give somebody else because uh, if not it will drain you i mean and you know this and if you if you have if your cup is empty and people are coming to you for something you can't give anything. Yeah. And at that time, um did you feel you had anything to give? Or you I know you probably tried, but you know, I, when when
0: I buried my daughter, um I did the immediate old school, get right back on the horse. Garland was like, dude, you're stay home. Um, Tony had people mow my yard, he had people Paying my bills. I mean, he had everything. And I was like, by God, I'm going back to work. I'm going back to work. And um, I literally, the first guy I stopped, literally the first guy I stopped, it was on a Thursday or Friday night. I went right back to work. I walked up to his car, and he immediately started MFing me. Mm -hmm. And the next thing I knew, I had him out on the ground and was on top of him crying. And a lieutenant pulled me off, and I don't know if, I think it was him. Mm Mm-hmm. A lieutenant had him pull up and said, "I think you need to get him home. I'm not sure that he was ready to be back on this horse, and I had no,
3: yeah.
0: I had no business being at work. I had no business doing what I was doing, and but in my head, by God, I got to get back on that horse and go.
1: What's it's like wrestling the keys away from somebody? You know, I mean, yeah, really, but you're when it, when exactly. When, when it when it comes when it comes to that, you need to. What a great analogy. Well, you know, I got I got I had I pull some things out of my ass. occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> but it really it, – because it, it, some people don't realize they're it, it, swerving over the road. Because I, I, I use that analogy, too, when I'm training uh, the, the type of training that I do of the mistakes that are made in, uh, in what I – training case filing that, that they don't realize that they're screwing it up that bad. Sometimes yeah. you got to, like, pull it away, train them correctly, and, and it's the same with dealing with a peer – People are being resilient. The first part of being resilient is self-awareness, man. And that's the biggest thing to be self-aware in yourself and to see.
3: Well, that went out the window with him uh, during that, you know, and my wife and I walked through that whole situation with Clinton, his wife at the time. And uh, it was. Again, it's life altering, you know. As a parent, you you think, how do you process that?
1: Yeah. I can't, you know? I couldn't process that right now. I can't. What, what was your daughter's name?
0: Bailey. Looking back, listening to him talk about my then wife, uh, the night she died, our police chaplain, Brother Ken, he appeared like a Casper, like within two seconds after she passed away. He was, he would telepathed right into the children's hospital and pulled me to the side and, um, he goes, hey, you know, losing children at this young age, the divorce rate's like, I can't remember, 80 or 90%. And I said, well, I appreciate it, Brother Kim, but we're good. We're, we're freaking solid. We didn't make it six months, and which is weird because to this day, me and her are like best friends. Me and her husband, her new husband now, are close. I spent July 4th with her her husband and her parents at a lake house. That's so it, it wasn't a it career. Had had I handled it better?
3: Well, you know, it, it, it was both a, ways, you know. Like yeah. y- you guys were in different mindsets at the time. Like from the outside looking in, you know, as close to you guys as we are and were, um, y- you guys were just on different paths with grieving and the trauma that you just had gone through, and and you know, you uh, being stubborn ass that he is. And he is a stubborn ass, I'll tell you. Ura, uh, yeah, it's got that jarhead in him. But uh, you know, it it was really, really difficult. It was, it was.
1: Well, kudos to you, Tony, for for being there as a as a friend and helping. Him do well, that.
3: you know, I mean, I think that goes. Anybody, he would have done the same for me if it was. If the roles were reversed, he would have done exactly the same for me under any circumstances i mean you know it's the ride or die thing i I know he would um and you just try to do what you can but but it's like doesn't ever seem enough you know
0: i'll tell you one thing being a good friend to somebody is super important i teach about police shootings and i talk about being a good companion officer And how important it is. And it sounds stupid. Oh, I'm a companion officer. I'm going to go sit. It's so important immediately after that trauma to have somebody that you know, you trust, you're comfortable with. This is the guy. If I tell him, you know, I just did something bad, he's showing up with a shovel to help me bury it. I mean, that's my Randy. You need that person. And Bailey dying and Keith dying, Tony appeared, you know, like a. You know, immediately afterwards. And, and one thing I was mad at him for for a long time, after my daughter died, it's, it struggled with my faith and um, I had a lot of anger for a long time. Right before Keith died, I was in a pretty good place. I had really started to make the turn and was doing good. When Keith died, I was one mad, angry individual. And I thought I was doing really good. I thought I was killing it. And one day Tony called me and goes, hey, man, do you want to meet at a Starbucks in Rockwall? And I'm thinking, sure, but you don't drink coffee. So we walk in, and he's sitting there with a guy. And I'm like, man, this is a freaking intervention. It's and I setup. was I was yeah. so – He was pissed. I was freaking smoking <laughs> pissed. And he goes, hey, man, we're just going to have coffee and talk. And I'm like, all right, let's cut through the chase I don't want to hear about your life insurance policy or whatever. Let's cut to the chase what we're here for. And it was a big old nice-looking strapping 30-something-year-old guy. Sounds hot. He he goes, (laughs) "Uh, hey, man, um, you know, I played sports my whole life, wanted to play baseball. My whole life was baseball and had a catastrophic injury in college that stopped me. And I was headed to the major, and I never stepped on the majors another day. And I'm thinking, dude, I don't care – that you can swing a bat, dude. I don't care. And then he kept on and was patient with me. And finally he said, are you mad at God? And I was waiting for him to tell me, you know, you can't be or you shouldn't be. And I freaking unloaded on him. You're damn right. I'm freaking pissed, dude. I said, I'm tired of people telling me, well, this is God's plan. You know, next time somebody tells me that, you can let him know that his plan failed me. It's not a great one. And all I remember is the guy sat up and he's a big old dude. He goes, it's okay. God's got big shoulders. It's okay. And that wasn't what the answer I wanted. I was wanting to freaking fight this dude. And he screwed my OODA loop up and told me it was okay, that I was hostile and angry. And I didn't know what to do then. He took my freaking combat away from me. and so then He disarmed you. He freaking disarmed me because I wanted to freaking fight, argue. I wanted Mm -hmm. to scream and throw a damn temper tantrum. And it screwed my OODA loop up. Well, then I got to listening to him. And I hated him for that for a little while. Cause I'm like, dude, you don't drink coffee. Why are we meeting at Starbucks? You freaking weirdo.
4: You know, I, I love hearing that because I think sometimes we forget, or we just don't know. A lot of people don't know it's okay to be mad at God. Yeah. Because you gotta you because what good is it going to do to you carry around all that anger and not ever say anything? And, and once it comes out, and it probably released a pressure valve off you to where you were able to yeah listen and heal and move forward and get better and it's that's
0: yeah they ambushed me and and uh they deflated me because i just sat and listened because i'm like i was prepared to i wanted to be mad i was freaking pissed and i was mad why i was doing this again and and i really wanted that guy to spar with me and then when he Man. told me it was okay and god's good with it and those the two guys sitting in starbucks with me were good with it i was like shit, I don't even really know what to say. I guess I'm going to sit here and listen because y'all just screwed my freaking (laughs) battle plan all up. And that helped me more than I can say. And I I hope I would have been the friend to have done that for him other than just said, let's go get a beer and ride around or go do something. I, I hope that I would have had the strategic planning because that's important. Being a companion officer after somebody's had to take a human's life and you get a phone call to go sit in a squad car with them, Go freaking be a good friend, man. That's what they need. Go ambush him in a Starbucks with a big baseball player, because yeah. that train that make sure helped. you're strapping though. Yeah, <laughs> that that helped me. That helped me more than I can yeah. say.
1: Tony, I want to. Wanna what went? What, what, what made you? pick that guy, knowing Clint like you knew, knowing his personality, and probably knowing what he was, once he found out, he, he probably knew how he was going to react and he was going to be on oh, yeah. the offensive. What made you think to do that, and why, and why did you think that was going to work?
3: Um, you know, honestly, it was. it's where I was in my walk with Christ at that time of my life, Uh, I didn't grow up in a church. I didn't go to church as a kid. I'm not from a religious family by any means. I didn't even, if I went to a church when I was a kid, I was either at a funeral or a wedding. That was it. And uh, so I didn't even know anything about that until I was well into my second marriage. And my wife was like, hey, this is what we do. (laughs) And we go to church and and this is where our kids are going to go. And so I just, reluctantly jumped in and I'm glad I did because I met two guys, Bubba being one of them that was his name Bubba and uh, Tim and the, it was one of those two that would have been there I wanted both of them there because I knew I'd have been really mad if there people yeah. two people ambushing this me. stubborn ass was going to put up exactly what he did draw a line in the sand and be ready to fight which is fine, if you want to fight let's fight but we're going to get to the bottom of what's going on and so it was just more like he needs the help. Like, everybody's coming to me. Everybody's telling me. And I'm seeing it. And I'm like, you're not no good. Idea.
0: I thought I was doing fine. and
3: Everybody. Like, from the top down. G- get him right. Do whatever it takes. Get him right. Take the time you need. Get him right. And I'm like, I'm trying. I was like, he's a, he's Clint McNair. He's stubborn as all, like a f- fucking mule.
1: Yeah. Right? I thought I was killing it. I thought
0: I was doing good. <laughs> no, he but- was
1: not. <laughs> yeah, I'm being on look it's like looking at a fishbowl in somebody's life right you're, yeah. you're on the outside looking in you know yeah it ain't uh
3: and i wasn't doing well yeah. like having walked through that with him uh you know when i don't know how many days 10 days at in the icu like literally spent 10 days in the icu like what the fuck
1: so he's crazy yeah it but but that but that's the bond of friends though, and you and you you really got to have that in this profession. You get like you like you said, you need to have people that you can. A companion officer it doesn't have to be for yeah. a critical incident; it could be just for the fucking dump of life and dump of this profession because it's going to happen. Yeah, no matter a bunch wh- of it. no matter what corner of the of the of the city you work at, yeah, it's going to find you. Right,
3: you're, you're right about that. But to walk through that, and when they were going back to do the whole final process and my wife and i just sat there and they're like him his dad he's like what get up come on where are you going what are you doing i'm like what i'm like no no they're like uh yeah let's go rough
1: yeah clint um i want to get into you deciding to leave uh garland pd and how that went and 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 what what was that decision when when'd you leave
0: november 2013 retired um mid-november
3: 2013 damn doesn't feel like wow. it's been that long
0: <laughs> coming up on nine years wow why did you leave so i had i had 23 in in our tmr in our system um my passion was working capers Mm -hmm. and my dad worked capers at dallas for 31 years that was my passion was to chase work who done it homicides and robberies was just where i wanted to be we had had for a very long time a very senior respected capers unit um some things were changing at the time Several of us, a couple of us left. I went to child crimes, realized that I could not do that. Um, I was struggling, and I was a hard charger. I wanted to run through brick walls. And child crimes turned me into the guy that I do not want to be at work. I don't want to be affiliated with these. And was, you know, catching a couple of sexual assaults where it was, mad stepchild that doesn't like the new stepdad. So I'm going to, you know, make an allegation and had to arrest a guy that I knew didn't do anything and was just really struggling with a passion to serve. Uh, had 23 in and I realized, man, I'm going to have to do, I'm 42. I'm going to have to do 15 more here or I'm young and relevant enough that I can probably do 15 doing something else. Maybe while I'm young and hopefully relevant, Uh, Bob Gorski's law firm reached out and said, hey, man, you need to consider expert witness work. Uh, TMPA reached out about bringing me on board. I asked them, what the heck does TMPA do? And they said, well, you train cops, fight for cops, fight to help cops. And I thought, I've lost passion to fight for people on the street. But if I can renew and find a passion to fight for cops... I was was trying to find somewhere to to find a fight to get back into or to find my passion again, and uh, it was a really good opportunity, and it all kind of came together. uh, The short answer
1: is, again, I got lucky and fell forward. Well, it it sounded like did you become self-aware that the profession profession was not, at the time, not good for you in in your, uh, your mental health, your overall health?
0: Yeah, the pendulum was swinging in law enforcement, period. You know, starting in police work now with the environment it is, that would be the only environment you would know. But starting in the early 90s when it was the Wild West and the pendulum swinging to where it had, I knew that was rapidly changing. My passion was zero. I went from being a hard charger, wanted to run through brick walls, to... Crap, it's freaking Monday again, and I have to go back to that building again. And I wasn't mad. I wasn't sad. I wasn't dissatisfied with the agency. It was an incredible agency with incredible people. Uh, My daughter got a full police funeral. Um, Mm -hmm. She got motor jocks. I mean, I, I couldn't have asked for a better agency. But I just, I guess I'd lost my passion and was trying to find a fight to get back into and find somewhere to focus passion and um, be challenged. Being an expert witness has been really, really challenging a, gr- a fun challenge. And then working for Team PA, I travel the state, you know, fighting for cops. And uh, basically it's the DPA. I mean, I'm... I'm um, kind of a state version of the DPA. Is, Can you
1: tell the, the listener what TMPA stands for and, and talk a little bit about that, please?
0: Yeah, TMPA, Texas Municipal Police Association, started in 1950. We represent 32,000 cops across Texas, sheriff's departments, police departments, hospital, DART, DFW. Um, we provide our bread and butter is providing legal representation. Uh, that's the reason like Houston, Harris County, and Dallas are not TMPA because you guys have in-house legal you don't need legal representation you guys handle your own business in-house so you guys are kind of a sister sister organization to uh to tmpa but ultimately it's what you guys do we provide training we provide legislative efforts at the capitol um very similar to you guys
1: yeah yeah we just went to the tmpa uh convention there in san antonio and and you had some hellacious speakers and uh and it was really moving the tribute that y'all paid to the fallen, the many, the many fallen across the state and shit. That sadly, that, uh, that reel of, uh, that, that was going up there on the big screen of, of fallen officers, uh, across the state is heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. I, I, the, our banquet,
0: our conference culminates into a banquet on Sunday night. And there, we have, each year we remember the fallen from the previous 12 months and, Although it's beautiful, I love planting it. I love getting to find some bagpipers or some, the piano player we had this year was awesome. I love getting to plant it, but I end up an emotional wreck the whole way through it as we honor it. And it shocks the conscious to see that many names and photos and young faces scroll across that screen every year. Um, shocks the conscious. I wish the community could see that every year
1: yeah we Dallas PD had had a, had a couple of names up there um I want to get some final thoughts on uh state of mental and overall wellness and in, in this profession would it would it both I want to get both of y'all's opinion on where you think it's going we talked a little bit on it but what do you think we could do more of and what we can work what we can work on with the the, the, the local departments and also at the just a held a federal a federal level
3: wow um I think from my perspective, because I, I sit on the cusp of being able to punch out of here in a couple of years, um, sooner if the right thing came along. I've, you've, I've reached that level. so But I've been a part of our core CISM team for, I don't know, seven or eight years. And uh, I've participated in that. And I'll, I'll tell you, I, I came into it, uh, I didn't volunteer. I was voluntold because I was a negotiator on our SWAT team for a decade. And I really didn't, I was still of that mindset of like, suck it up, buttercup. Uh, but all the information I learned and I educated myself about it, um, and I i flipped, I did a 180, and I thought, well, shit, I wish this stuff would have been available when we were young bucks. You know, I probably would have done things a lot different uh, in my career, So from where I sit and what I do, I think there has to be intentionality. I think, uh, one, it's easy to do when your administration is backed 100% to say, look, this is important to us. Your retention in this agency is important to me. And if we have to give you some time to figure that out through whatever resources and you don't have to tell us a damn thing about it, then great. I I guess I understand from the administrative side how – Maybe they know some people might use that as a crutch to, you know, that's not for the right reason. But I think the goal itself is great. And so for us, there's constant intentionality. Uh, We have people who go pour through the shift report. If there's a major call that happens or anything of any significance whatsoever, uh, someone's reaching out and saying, hey, do we need to put a group together to talk to everybody? Was it that big big enough of a deal where we need to pull everybody, dispatchers, jailers, forensic people, patrol, you know, whoever went, detectives? Um, And I've done a bunch of those, and they're amazing. They're amazing because you see people who – you see everybody, all the type A's come in, right? And it's all like, I'm not saying shit. I'm not going to do nothing. I'm just going to sit here because I you was look told. At me when you yeah. said that. <laughs> <laughs> so just saying.
1: You gave a wink. Yeah,
3: uh, but then when you see, as soon as one person talks, then the next person talks, and then the next person talks, and the, and it the spillover of that is contagious, and ultimately at the end of the day, it's all for the right reasons, because your mental health is wickedly important.
1: Well, it's not only important just for giving the citizens a a better product of officers it's like it's like when clinton was talking about on the traffic stop right after that he wanted to rip the guy a new one you know it it goes even up to that one was mckinney officer that 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 answered Mm -hmm. like two suicide calls and then he's caught on on camera on that pool pool party party. you know people are dealing with shit and and they're not no i'll say they're not dealing with shit right and they're they're getting caught up because of it and you know and yeah there are going to be people that are there are. There are going to be people that are going to try to take advantage of whatever sure. resource. That's just that's human, and, and right. there's going to be some shenanigans. But I think that if you put things, if you start a program and you get something out there that's proactive, not reactive. Don't wait till somebody falls apart and then you're trying to clean up the mess, right? right and mop it up. You're going to help more people than than, than that are the few outliers are going to be t- trying to take advantage of or run a scam.
3: Yeah, yeah, right. I agree. Maybe fed- from the federal side. And I don't really have a lot of knowledge to talk about that, but I would think dedicating specific funding
1: for for, I I think education. Education education
3: and training Mm. and awareness and and all of those things that go with it. Because the field is ripe with lots of professionals um, who know a lot of stuff and can navigate you through those waters, um, you know. Some of it still seems because I'm I'm so old school. I still think some of it is wizardry and hocus pocus stuff, in the sense of like I, we had Doctor Powers uh, in our agency one time, and he was like, I can I could cure you of any issues you ha- you got. Like, who's a sp- afraid of spiders? And I'm like, oh hell yeah, I'm totally afraid. I'm raised a hand. He's like, twenty minutes, I could have you holding a tarantula. I was like sir, you've smoked crack because there's not yeah. a chance on this planet I'm ever going to do that. And he's like, let me know if you want to do it. And I'm like, mm, yeah, yeah. I can say I've never volunteered for that, uh, though he has offered. He's <laughs> like, I promise you, you'd be holding spiders and petting them.
1: I'm that way with snakes. Yeah,
3: me too. I'm with
4: mm. you. Good to know. Yeah, yeah sh- <laughs> shut <up>. mm. <laughs> Dick.
1: Clint, what do you think? And what, what what is your mission going to be moving forward and continuing that message? I
0: think everybody trying to play their small role um, because you don't ever know the impact you're having on someone. I I challenge everybody to be intentional and decisive in what they do. Tony ambushing me at Starbucks over a latte with some big baseball player, knowing that I was going to be pissed um, – Man, the whole the world could use a whole lot of that because I was I was pissed even after it for a while that he did it, and now looking back, it was a huge pivot for me. And I would challenge guys to do it. I would challenge you don't have to be a leader to make change. Um, it doesn't take a lieutenant or a captain to go make changes. You have to talk about it. I'm a huge person in talking the stigma away. I spoke at our conference about five years ago in Houston. I just got up and had about five minutes at opening that ceremony and just said, hey, we've got to do better, we've got to be intentional. I was doing some work with the Brain Performance Institute here and just kind of spoke briefly, and I'm not educated on the topic at all, and clearly I have more baggage than Southwest Airlines, so I'm not here to help anybody. But I spoke briefly about it. Well, as soon as I get off stage, we're in the hospitality room and this big strapping kid comes up and goes, Hey, can I talk to you outside? And I said, yeah. And we're at the Westin in Houston, which is pretty tall. And I've got a Tito's and he goes, uh, I was just going to let you know that I drove down here today all day. And I intended to jump off this building until you spoke. And I'm like, uh, let me set my Tito's down. Cause it sounds like you just said you're going to jump. He had worked a jumper Thursday night. And this huge kid starts telling me the story. He said, I, he was on a bridge, I had built great rapport, didn't know what I was doing, but I had stumbled through building incredible rapport, and he said 50, at the 50 minute mark, he looked at me, his eyes had changed, he said he was empty when he looked at me and he jumped, and he said driving down here this evening, the whole time, all I could think out is, he's probably got kids, he's probably got a wife, he said, so I googled the height of the Weston while I drove down here, and he was going to jump. Uh, until you got up and spoke, and I'm thinking well, you came to the wrong dude because I'm not the person. I'm not the person to help you. So we get him help through the night and, and get him situated. and Phone rings the next morning. Guy said, "Hey, I've been drinking. Got my gun out. Been drinking." Um, and I'm not a mental health professional. I'm not anything professional, but them hearing a dummy get up and speak and making them feel enough. If the stigma's not there, if that big ogre will get up and talk about it, then maybe I can go to him about it. Everybody has the opportunity to make a difference. Um, be intentional about it, let the Machismo and the, the Alpha go. Uh, because I, I, I think there's a real opportunity to be intentional, be a good companion officer. Everybody has a part to play in this.
1: Clint, you say you're not uh you're you're not anybody that should be looked at for, for help. Right. And you, you you may not have a doctorate, you may not have a a therapist license, right. But you're relatable. And and I think that's what, I think that's what people could take away in in a message. And and when we started up this, Randy knows why uh, this podcast has started up to give people a stage to tell their stories. And hopefully if they're not at the very least, they're entertained, you know, or they're just punching their steering wheel and they don't know what they're fucking talking about. But the The feedback that I've received received from people across the country, in in, in from civilians and from uh, from officers and uh, firefighters actually, um, their message of hearing somebody on this on these mics right, hearing their stories and how they reacted. I had a, 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 a an officer from Iowa that reached out with a gosh a longest email talking about. He was involved in a shooting and he believes because of what he heard from this podcast, he responded and reacted better when the guy got out and shot at him, you wow. know, and, and it was and that. I mean, I, I actually called the man and I had two other co uh, co-hosts called the guy that he, he mentioned liking their episodes. It meant a lot to him. It was something wow. small being a peer, You don't have to be yeah. a good friend. You can just be you can be a complete stranger. But be relatable, and Clint, I think you're that. I think that's what, I think that's what, uh, what draws people to you, you know.
0: Well, I appreciate that.
1: Well, you know, we always got to make sure we sh- share our stories because our biggest
4: thing as men and cops, we think we're the only one for whatever stupid reason going through what we're going through. But until you start telling your story, you're going to find out other people have got so much information that they can share with you and experience and. I think it's you know keep doing what you're doing. Hopefully, people listening will want to come in and tell their story, and helps the next person pay it forward and pay it down the road. It's cool you said
0: stand up. I just joined a small group, a men's group, and it's all cops. Um, but the guy that started is a retired homicide sergeant, and it's stand up men, and it's quit 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 the machismo, quit all that crap. Let's stand up. Let's be men. Let's be dads. Let's be mentors. And uh, it was—it's weird. You just said it's people need to stand up. That's what this group is—is is stand up.
1: They do. I, th- I think that's. Um, yeah, it's important. It's important uh, to get past the the, the shield that we got to put on. You, know, you, we have to put on a mask and a shield to deal with people. We have to. Shit, Tony. <laughs> you, yeah. the, you, you We have to do that to 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 be effective, but we also need to be effective for ourselves to to know that that is a role, but. Our bigger role is, is being who we really are. And if we're broken down, we need to fucking know we are and do something about it. And then there's thank God there's people like like Tony and Randy's reached out to me on, 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 on some of my issues and, and I've bounced it back. And you gotta have people in, like that in your life and you got to let people know, at least even the per the most private of person needs to let some people know that there are things going on behind the scenes that maybe they're not Dealing with like Tony, you you can look at at Clinton say, "I knew he was not well. He he thought he was doing shit great. He thought he had it going on, but it was not. That wasn't the reality.
3: No, yeah, absolutely not. I mean, again, I, I think for the public's perception, you know, we a lot of times cops get the bad light of, you know, they see the end result, like you mentioned, the guy McKinney who tackled the kid at the pool or whatever, but what the public doesn't understand is what he went through before that or what happened at home or maybe the other situations like this stuff builds up and and you're just expected to go to the call and then guess what clear and go to the next one because it's busy and so I'm grateful that the mindset is shifting you know for the positive so
0: in your podcast I know people are coming forward because they're hearing it and you're having people reach out and that's touching lives that's making a difference when you can get on here you know spend an hour share somebody's story you know and sprinkle in the jokes and the cool war stories but talk about the reality of of being on the job and then you get people emailing and calling telling you what a freaking difference that that can make that that can make man it's incredible
1: thank you it, that that it's motivation for me and uh and it fuels me to want to do more and, and i and randy knows that i was uh i was thinking about uh, wrapping it up i was going to wrap up pack up shop and kind of be done but i'm going to continue to do more of these and uh and learn from them and actually meet some cool ass people like i've done today you know clinton you and i've met but tony I, i've heard about you and i've well. listened to your podcast and and I'm, I'm it's an honor to meet you and i'm glad appreciate to appreciate uh, it i'm glad to have you on here and then really get to know more about you and all that you and it says a lot about you as a person of what you did for as a friend. You know, it really yeah. that, that means a lot that means a lot. That's a you got a damn good friend here, Clinton, and, and I'm I'm glad I'm really glad that you came on here to be a part of this and it and it wasn't just a shoot to shit and jack with him. We you you know you show a different I side could of can still yourself. do that if you want. No, but, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll put that in the blooper reel. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, I'm I'm honored. I'm I'm appreciative and like I told you from the start, like I I just here to support Clint, you know, like I, I didn't want to come as a fifth wheel by any, any means, but uh, you know, we go through life and we know a lot of people. We call a lot of people acquaintances, but we don't have a lot of friends. Friends, right? We keep those really close to, close to home. So,
1: what's a trust thing? Right? Yeah. Clint, yeah, you, you're talking about the uh, you're enjoying this podcast, and you and I, you again, you reached out to me after uh, the great Lance Crawford episode, and we had a long conversation. Yeah. We talked about something that you're cooking up. Can you tell the listeners what uh, what you got in the horizon here that's similar?
0: Yeah, so Team PA, we're finishing up um, building our room for a vodcast, um, which you two guys are going to come on, so we can do this yeah. again. <laughs> and they can see how sexy you two guys oh, are. Man. These will be in video.
3: I have a face for radio, really. Meet, you can and I, and I be
1: shirtless? You brought it up. See? <laughs> see, folks, he
4: always brings it up. I'm surprised you not in a tank top
1: right now.
0: Absolutely. You have to be now that you brought <laughs> at, it up. At least
1: my pants stayed on. Was, so. Or are they? You can't see. Uh, um,
0: but we'll, we should be up and running in a few weeks. It'll be TPA the Voice of Texas Law Enforcement. Um, and it'll be similar to this, navigating issues and stories on the job and legislative issues and just kind of navigating as we go through. And uh, I'm proud to have the support that you guys have because I, I have no idea what I'm doing. And you guys have been an incredible feedback and ideas and um, helping me continue to fall forward and get lucky and, and – you guys have been incredible help, both of you.
3: Well, be careful what you ask for because it is a undertaking. Uh, Let yeah. me tell you, man, it's you don't even think about some of the things that have to be done to get it to go and work. But it is work.
1: It's work, but it's well worth it. Absolutely, it, it really is. And, you, yeah. and you're going to see. It, and, and and Clint, once you start, you're going to be getting the phone calls and emails from complete strangers, civilian and 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 uh, and sworn. And it's gonna it's gonna fuel you. It's gonna make you feel. Like what you are going to do, and what you are doing matters, and it means something, and it becomes your new why. Also, yeah. and, and you know, we're we're here, we're going to be here to help, and. And give yep. you any bad advice we I can Absolutely. give you because I'm full of that. So I saw your cool ass recording room you are putting no doubt. up. Oh my god, I'm, I'm jealous. jealous. Dude. Me too, man. Thin blue line. It, it it looks badass. I'm yeah. excited. I'm pissed that we don't have something. Content like that.
0: Content may be horrible with an ugly host, but the show's going to be sexy.
1: Oh, it'll, the it. The yeah. setting. It
4: looks good. Yeah. Looks Joe, you don't like good. this room I've got for you here?
1: Yeah, you know what? <laughs> we're gonna we're, we're gonna put up some cool movie posters or some some other <laughs> crap. But uh, but no, it, you, you got a great plan, and we're going to be here to help in any way. And uh, man, thank you for being on with us today. I'm humbled to be here. Honestly, right. humbled to be here. Yeah, thanks for having.
4: Me. One correction: it's 12 Frisco High Schools, not 16. So if I get any emails
1: or messages, okay, yeah, so, yeah, I was, yeah, I was we, wrong. We, we, we will now. get some. Star. Yeah, so at least Just you 12. caught that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I would have never even caught that mistake. <laughs> Clint, thank you so much for what you do for peace officers across the country. Tony. Thank gosh. thank you for doing God's work and and, and, and taking care of uh, those families and those kids that they, yeah. they, they can't take care of themselves, uh, folks. Once uh, Clint's uh, and TMPA's podcast gets going, I'm going to be uh, promoting that and uh, and. You know and on it shirtless uh, and on it shirtless and, and and or shirtless or have a shirt on but pantless we'll, we'll see we'll see what uh, what time of the year it is for that if it's cold out I'm not going to be pantless I don't want to warm so yeah. I'm taking donations
3: yeah. <laughs> to my patreon now for me okay. to keep my clothes on okay. during that episode okay. so if you want me to be on there and stay clothed, <laughs> donate
4: to my patreon well <laughs> ato is all about raising money too maybe we could get some people to fun Joe going shirtless that's right oh god if it's, if
0: it's in the winter wear warm socks
1: yeah yeah <laughs> it's a padded room you'll be fine uh-huh. guys uh thank you for listening uh go check out catfish cops it's on all streaming platforms check out your yeah. sexy voice of tony and then once uh clint's uh and tmpa's podcast gets rolling we're gonna be uh we're going to be pushing that out there and uh, supporting them just like they've supported us. Absolutely. I look forward to doing this again of ours. Gentlemen, thank you guys. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, sir.
2: Hey, brother, hey, sister, I'll never give up on you. Hey, missus, hey, mister, I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far the sun and the moon, I'll never give up on you. Now when you're lonely, I'll pull you up. Life leaves you heavy when the glowing gets tough. I'll be your shoulder, together we'll up from the bottom Yeah, will rise above Hey brother, hey sister I'll never give up on you Hey missus, hey mister I'll see this all the way through No matter how far Oh Never give up on you. Hey, Mrs. Hey, Mister. I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far for the gold and the blue, I will never give up on.